0: You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Primary Medicine Podcast. I'm very excited to have another guest today. And it's a very dear guest, and actually, the co host of the podcast. He's been very busy. Uh, he'll, He'll talk to you about what he's been busy with, but also he'll talk about falls in the elderly. So we're talking to Dr. Kevin Milo who well, I remind everyone, is an emergency physician in Alberta. And he has a lot of experience as a teacher. And he does see, unfortunately, a lot of cases of falls in the because it's an issue. They usually end up being eMERGE, oftentimes. Uh, so I'm really excited to learn and to talk to Kevin again. Uh, hi, Kevin. How are you?
0: I'm super glad to be here. Um, it has been way too long since I've been on the podcast. I am very excited to be here. As you guys know, or many of you know, probably um, I'm very busy with another project that we're involved in called Physician Empowerment, which is financial education for doctors. So that's what's been taking up all my time um, over the last two or three years um, and even before then. So a quick pitch. We are very excited about our conference coming up June 3rd to 5th in Toronto. In addition to in-person, we've got an amazing live stream option for anyone that can't attend. Um, and everything's recorded, so you get to keep it, which is just awesome. So Dimitri is going to send out the link, but it's www.physempowerment.ca, and that's p h y s empowerment.ca. So go and have a look at that. But that's the project that's keeping me busy and away from the Primary Medicine pod podcast. But I am so happy to be here, Dimitri. And you know what? I think it's worthwhile to to just mention that this. um this year is ten years since you and I finished family medicine all those years ago in Hamilton, um, and I'll never forget uh, you know you Wahid and I and you know Rory. Sorry, I'm just dropping names that nobody knows. Well, people know Wahid um, in that amazing uh, Palestinian falafel house, um, just eating and laughing and studying, um, and and so it's it's really something that we're here ten years later. Uh, we're all in practice, we're living our lives, um, and yet, you know, we still celebrate, you know, some of those earliest uh, moments and um, and the fact that the podcast is really a manifestation of that, which is super exciting. So I'm really glad to be here. Um, I'm really glad to be talking. And yes, I, I'm i all the way out in Alberta. I'm the only one of us that, that left Ontario, all the other three stayed. Um, and I'm out here in Alberta and um, I'm practicing full-time emergency medicine, and I'm loving it, and I wanted to talk to you today about falls in the elderly, and I'm going to, uh, for those of you that, you know, have listened to me talk before, I'm going to keep it light, Um, I'm going to keep it fast-moving, and this is by no means comprehensive, and I think that's important uh, to highlight, so I'm going to, you know, touch on a little bit of epidemiology, and what I really want to hit home, though, rather than extensive lists of fall risk factors and extensive, you know, lists of investigations we should be doing. What I really want to highlight today is the meaning of a fall in the elderly. What does that actually mean for us in practice? But more importantly, what does that mean for our patient who is suffering from falls? These falls are a serious medical event and they have enormous impact negative in the quality of life and even the health and well-being of our patients. So I, re- I think it's really important to recognize that. So, so that's what I wanted to touch on is the meaning of a fall. I guess I'm getting a little more philosophical as I age over these years, um, and and talking about that. And I'm going to talk about the approach to assessing a fall. So these are some very light statistics uh, and numbers here. I'm going to keep this fast, um, but about 25 percent of seniors over the age of, uh, um, um. um 65 um, suffer a fall in the preceding 12 months from when you see them. So that's pretty significant. And certainly on periodic health assessments, geriatric assessments, that's one of the core questions you're going to ask about. In the emergency department, we don't necessarily ask, you know, um, all the time, how often have you fallen, but you know, you'll start to get an impression of which ones you should inquire about. And I certainly still do, but not every single one of my patients. Now, the next thing that's worth um, noting as well is that we have an aging population and this is some wisdom that was shared to me by a colleague when we actually, you know, we got together and we debriefed over dinner about it, you know, very interesting case that informed our practices. Um, it was a large group of physicians and he stood up and he says, listen, the new face of trauma is an elderly person with a standing height fall, right? Because I remember years ago when I was training, you know, doing my EM fellowship and, Thinking about you know trauma was always these MBCs and stabbings and shootings and you know cracking chests and all the rest of it and in fact in community emergency medicine the trauma we see is is elderly falling, right and being very mindful of how serious that is, right and that it's not just a fall it's a major traumatic event for someone who is older, right it's not you know one of our kids wiping out or or you know me uh, trying to ski. Um, this is, this is a major medical event for elderly and in some cases can be fatal. The other thing, you know, worth highlighting is not only that the population is aging, but the advanced elderly population is aging. And there are different definitions of what that means, but there's a big difference between somebody who is 65 years old and somebody who is 95 years old, right? They are in different generations. And I think that's very important to reflect on right? So that you know, we tend to lump people in and say, well, elderly is over 65. That's not true. There are many different types of elderly people, and there's a lot of diversity within that group. So we have to be very mindful of that when we're about to walk into the room and assess our patient is what does this really mean? Um, you know, and, and also the notion of frailty and frailty is a very big topic. I'm not going to get into that in a whole bunch of, of length or detail, but the notion that depending on one's comorbidities, depending on one's age, that somebody can be a lot medically frailer than someone else. And, you know, I had a great case earlier this year, a great shift earlier this year that reminded me of just that fact. I had two patients that were nearly identical ages. They were both elderly. The first one was um, somebody with longstanding advanced uh, type 2 diabetes who suffered from blindness, gastroparesis, had a baloney amputation and was dialysis dependent. And then that same shift, I had another patient who was describing to me how he injured himself playing pickleball. And then he was jumping all over the room to demonstrate this to me how he pulled the muscle in his leg. And I felt tired just watching him. And I realized that despite the fact that I am actually half his age, I'm doubtful that I could have kept up with him in a pickleball court. Right. So again, it's that notion of frailty, assessing your patient on a very individualized basis. And some of that is experience. Some of that is going to be from a textbook and understanding risk factors, but you just you really want to be you know mindful of, of these sorts of things um, when you're about to go and assess your patients because they're very different. One more you know quick stat that's worth touching on is that one in 20 community dwelling adults um, who are over 65 who fall suffer a major injury. and I'm not going to get into that definition. And for seniors in long-term care facilities or assisted living, that's actually one in 10. So for every 20 patients that comes in, you know, to see whether it's urgent care, family practice, the emergency department, these folks come in and see you, one in 20 of them has a serious injury. So you need to be watching out. That's really high. Okay. And then I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of numbers. You guys know that I don't do that. Um, But I'm going to talk a little bit about the morbidity and mortality associated with um, geriatric falls. And what I'm really talking about here is there's the notion obvious of immediate death, right? So, you know, an old person, a classic example is an elderly person who's anticoagulated, falls, suffers a head injury, bleeds into their head, and they're dead within hours, right? Um, That's kind of a classic. Or, you know, they end up falling down the stairs and they suffer a bunch of trunk injuries. And again, you know, they could die within, you know, hours to days of that injury. Um, but the 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 really, you know, insidious side to falls in the elderly is the notion of mortality, morbidity, which means that, you know, an elderly person who falls um, is maybe may be permanently injured as a result of that fall. So an elderly person who falls standing level height, doesn't break anything, is a little bit sore for a few days, is very different from a near identical patient who falls, breaks their hip, goes in for surgery, develops an aspiration pneumonia, and then ends up having a prolonged rehabilito- rehabilitation course. And maybe they never walk independently again. Maybe they never go back to living in their home where they have to cope with stairs and then they end up you know, going to a long-term care facility or assisted living. So it's a major impact in somebody's quality of life. And it will ultimately shorten their life. Because obviously, if you are not able to move and live independently, it's a sign that you are now frailer, right? As opposed to living independently. So I think it's very important to realize that. And then the other side to this, and it's funny because I guess maybe again, uh, after having lived a few winters um, in Canada now, I got, you know, I think 37 of them under my belt Um, at the time of this podcast is wiped out on the ice quite a few times and not just skating with the kids or trying to ski, but just walking. And, you know, you kind of take it for granted. You brush it off, limp a little bit, whatever, but like, imagine what your elderly patient is going through when they are terrified to go out their front door to get the mail, right? They're scared that when it snows, they're not going to be able to push their walker through the snow or be able to walk with a cane or freezing ice. Right. So, so like, Again, I wanted to touch on the meaning of a fall in, a, in an elderly person. This is a form of suffering when people feel unsafe leaving their homes, when they're scared to go down to the basement to do laundry, right? So, so understanding that psychosocial side and showing some compassion, I think is so important for our patients, you know, and just taking time to recognize that. So you can ask them about like, you know, do you worry about falling? you know, or does falling restrict, you know, does your worry about falling restrict certain activities that you may not want to do? Right. And it can have a very serious negative impact in somebody's life. So I'd encourage you again, to explore that. And that can be explored in clinic that can be explored in the emergency. You can talk about it with, you know, the children of, of your patients, right. Because maybe they're not understanding what their, their mother or father is going through. Okay. So let me quickly fly through a few key risk factors for falls. So we're going to pivot. We're going to get to an actual assessment here of a geriatric case, you know, of falling. Um, You know, and there are some obvious ones, advanced age, um, cognitive impairment, past history of a fall. So obviously, if they've fallen once, they're probably more prone to falling again, right? Any balance issues, certain medications. And again, I'm not going to labor that, but there's, um, is it the De Beers or is it Beers, Dimitri? criteria. You bet. Great, great um, resource. And Dimitri can send out a link to that uh, potentially as well. But, um, you know, that's just another, you know, great resource to assess like, well, what medications should an elderly person be on, right? Like I try never to put my patients on anything anticholinergic ever, even one dose, I try never to do, you know, folks who've had neurological events like stroke or seizure, you know, even just a history of chronic dizziness without a diagnosis. I think is worth noting, right? So some, you know, elderly person, you know, maybe they've got some balance issues. Maybe they've got some proprioception issues. Maybe they've got some cardiovascular issues and they're saying, I just feel dizzy or lightheaded. That alone should tip you off to the fact that this individual may fall. Right. So again, just having that awareness continually. And then, so I, I like to think of it as like the background and sorry, I'm waving my hands here in front of the video because now we do these podcasts over zoom, but there's the background of a fall, but then there's the foreground. So the things that are right in front of you that you need to be mindful of. Now I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by saying, be very careful about the so-called mechanical fall. Right. So that often, you know, I see it pre-hospital with EMS. I see it, um, you know, with um, triage, I see it, um, you know, in notes from my learners. I myself, will very comfortably document a mechanical fall with the understanding that there's some context there. Right. And your patients may say, well, I just tripped. But really what you need to get down to is how are you feeling when you tripped? Because if you've been sick with a UTI or sick with pneumonia, or maybe a trip because you know you were having an end STEMI, those are things that I need to know about. Right. So that means a very thorough um History in addition to just tell me, you know, in addition to okay, you caught the curb, you went down. What side did you land on? You know, did you hit your head? Is your neck hurting? Are you having any numbness, tingling, paresthesias? Any of those sorts of things? You want to ask about those questions. I always ask about hip or groin pain as well. Okay, but you really want to know the context. How were you feeling? You know, and they say, well, I, you know, maybe they started on a new medication, right? That's contributing to that trip, right? Or maybe they're struggling with visual issues, or maybe they're socially isolated, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Where they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing; they actually need help, whether that's home care or more family involvement. Okay, so I ask about like neurological events, um, and this could be you know um, seizure, stroke-like symptoms, and then obviously the consequences, you know, of you know, like let's say you know a head injury or or you know a neck or spinal cord injury cardiac events big ones being you know chest pain shortness of breath or I should say cardiovascular events chest pain shortness of breath palpitations lightheadedness headed, presyncope all these sorts of things signs of CHF um and then infectious events and you know again elderly don't necessarily mount a fever so don't rely on that ask them if they felt febrile or been having chills or just ask to review systems around infection go head to toe, runny nose sore throat cough We're all pros at it now after the pandemic, fever, sick contacts, there we go, vomiting, diarrhea, and uh, and UTI symptoms. The other very important one um, that you want to ask about is substance use, and I'm going to touch on that in a little bit um, when we get down to the social history, okay? But the lesson here is, again, there's the background, which is baseline risk factors, and I did not go through a comprehensive list of those. Then there's the foreground, which are the immediate events. You know, how did you feel that day when you woke up? You know, how are you getting around those sorts of things? How did you fall? How did you land? What got hurt? What's hurting right now? Um, you know, those are the foreground things. Uh, but again, be very careful in saying, oh, this was just a mechanical fall. Right. Um, so again, um, the other one that I really doubled down on are um, mobility issues right? Regardless of a specific diagnosis, right? Somebody says, well, I'm just stiff, I'm slow, I have poor balance, right? Or, you know, um, are you on an anticoagulant? Because that can be a very serious issue, right? And again, this is my other highlight. And something I'm going to summarize at the end is be very wary of the elderly person who is anticoagulated and falling. And what I'm talking about specifically are intracranial bleeds, Major chest trauma resulting in a hemothorax, or blood in the pelvis, blood in the abdomen, right? People can bleed out in their femurs, um, and this again is a lot of ATLS stuff that I'm not going to go through in any great depth. But again, have a very low threshold to if you are seeing you know an anticoagulate person that suffered a you know head injury, have a very low threshold to you know send that person into the emergency department, okay? Um, and even just. The other gestalt point that I use here when I'm reviewing the past medical history is just looking at the list of diagnoses. So one of the reasons why I love, love, love practicing in Alberta—it's a wonderful place to practice—because more than a stethoscope, I need net care and net care or connect care, as we're now using—is a comprehensive medical record for all all um, patients in Alberta. So I can see their discharge summaries, I can see their problem lists, I can see all their diagnoses. Right. I can see their medication. And so I will very often populate those into my note or I will look them up. Right. And I know what they're on or I know what's been recently started. So I try to be mindful of these things because that if it's a long list, if it's 20 diagnoses, there's an alarm going off in my head saying frailty, right? False risk, may need admission. These are the things that I'm thinking about just before I've even looked at the finer points as to whether they're on an anticoagulant or not is just look at how long that list is. Because if they've got nothing and they look good, that probably isn't a frail adult, even before you've done the full history and exam. Yeah, another big one, for, in addition to anticoagulation, for setting someone up for a serious injury, is osteoporosis, right? Is obviously um, frail bone health means a higher risk of fractures. And it's not just hip fractures, it's wrists, it's ankles, it's tibial plateaus, it's pelvic fractures, right? And it's broken ribs. Okay, now let me get into the social history. So, so important. Again, I really try to spend time here. So, you know, I ask I ask my patients, you know, where do you live? What kind of place do you live in? Right. And then, you know, if they're living in their own home, right? Or, you know, lower rise apartment building, I want to know if they're dealing with stairs. And if they're dealing with stairs, what do you need the stairs for? Right. Because if you've got, you know, main floor laundry, um. And essentially, you got to get up three stairs to get into your house and you got, you know, a daughter or son nearby that can help with that. That's one thing. But if you are all by yourself and you got to go downstairs just to do the laundry every week, well, now we start having some worries about, you know, falls risk downstairs. The other question I always ask about, too, is do you use a walking aid and when do you use it, right? Like, are you using a walker continuously? Do you use a walker just when you're outside? Do you use a cane? Do you know, do you shimmy along furniture and objects in the house, right? Right. So finding out how your elderly patient mobilizes is going to give you a good sense of their risk of falls, but also, you know, how likely they, you know, are to have a potentially a serious injury, right? Because it speaks to frailty. You know, who do you live with or who lives around you, right? Because if they are the caregiver for a frail elderly partner, well, then they may not do well going home if they are frail themselves. But um, if they are, you know, on the receiving end of care and they have a very involved family with children around or grandchildren or, you know, a partner who's very involved, then that might be a very different story. Okay. So again, knowing who they live with, knowing where they live, knowing whether they have home care, these things are so important. And it's just not only evaluating the fall, but also making decisions about disposition or where does somebody go? Okay. And then the other issue is um, substance use. And I think this is worth spending some time on. And again, I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of statistics and and figures here, but the reality is, is that substance abuse is an issue with seniors and it's an increasing issue. And it's interesting. It's not just alcohol, um, but it's um, things like cannabis as well. Um, And so just being very mindful of how much of an effect this can have, right. And then a lot of seniors do use alcohol. And I'm surprised, you know, because I will draw alcohol levels fairly frequently and I'm always surprised who turns up with an alcohol level and what time of day it's coming up. Right. And how that could potentially impact your patients. And that may be a major source of intervention, right. To discuss, you know, alcohol use. So let's move on to the examination. How am I doing, Dimitri? Any questions so far? No, this this is excellent.
1: Just a couple of points I think that are important here. And I I like the philosophical bent you started with, that this is a major event that can cause trauma and can have a huge effect on people's lifestyle. I've had patients who wouldn't leave the house after they fell because they were afraid, which led to isolation, led to other effects. Uh, Don't minimize that. And that's why it's important to ask. But I also like the approach of, of, if I can summarize, of before the fall, during the fall and after. I think that's a good approach to have just so you have a systematic way of making sure you don't miss something like a heart attack or syncope or seizures. So, or,
0: you know, even something as, you know, significant as they laid in their, you know, floor for three days and now they've got a rhabdomyolysis.
1: You know, exactly, I mean? exactly. Yes. There's
0: just, a, there's a lot there. And I like that, you know, you mentioned the post fall events, right? And then, you know, When I examine folks, and again, I am not going to go into, you know, whoa, look in the ears, you know, for this or that, what I'm going to highlight is this, you need to do a head to toe examination on these folks and focus on the fact that um, they may not recall the events of the fall, right? So they they may not be able to reliably tell you whether or not they hit their head, even if they're saying they're not. Um, They could have cognitive issues that prevent them from telling you the full history, of, and then even having cognitive issues telling you what hurts. Okay. Um, the other big one is um, the notion that some seniors are just very stoic people, that tougher older generation. You know, we always joke about the farmers that walk in to our department because we're kind of, you know, on the periphery near the country, you know, and they walk in with serious injuries and they just kind of shrug it off for three days until it gets infected or whatever. Right. So, you know, be mindful that your patients may be minimizing things and it may not be just minimizing the injury, but minimizing the fall circumstances, right? And the fact that, um, you know, it may, it's difficult for them because they worry about a loss of independence, right? If they've got a child or someone else in their life who's worried about them and has been pushing them to move into a more supportive living environment, they may not want to disclose the fact that they're falling, right? Or how they're falling, you know? And so just being sensitive to that, that's what I would really highlight as well. So I do just go ahead and examine patients head to toe. The highlights, and I'm just going to hit them are, well, not hit them, but they're the areas that get hit. Ha, ha, ha. Um, you know, intracranial bleeds, you know, facial bone fractures, spinal cord injuries. So C-spine, T-spine, L-spine, um, bleeding into the chest, um, pneumohemothorax. But the other one is just simple rib fractures. Um, older folks who have even one rib fracture can hypoventilate. Because they're they're in pain and they're splinting, they become hypercarbic, and and then they can uh, they can actually lose consciousness, pass out, and die. So it's a very real issue, even with one rib fracture. Um, and then you know obviously examining the abdomen for you know uh, signs of bleeding in the belly, whether you want to do a fast or not, um, you know, and then uh, obviously assessing the pelvis and growing for signs of a, a pelvic or or hip fracture, and then. You know, try to lay your hands on the limbs as well. Just to make sure that you're not missing something because, again, you know, folks can have multiple distracting injuries. Okay, so that's the physical. I mean, just be thorough. That's my advice. The other big part as well is get them up to walk, and that doesn't have to be on your initial physical assessment. You can do your investigations first, but then, like at some point, you need to see them walk, right? And if you, you know, you know, just get them up, see what they look like, and then if there's family around, ask them how are they doing you know, does this look like their normal gait or do they look like they're in pain or do they look unsteady? And remember that they may have a gait abnormality, not only from the injury, but from any underlying immediate medical condition, like, you know, um, the cellulitis they happen to have on their leg, let's say. Okay. So investigations. And again, I'm going to keep this brief because I feel like we're already running out of time here. I don't want to be too, too long, but here's the thing with investigations. Remember the background which are underlying medical conditions, remember the foreground, which are immediate triggers, go and investigate for those. If you think that there's something warranted there, have a very low threshold to investigate. And what I'm talking about is full blood work, coags, urinalysis, EKG, polytrope, if you think that there could be a cardiac component here, like have a very low threshold toward investigations on your elderly patients, because there may be something that contributed to the fall. There may be something that um, you know, may contribute to their rehabilitation, or there's just something, you know, you're going to pick up because these people, you know, if they've got 20 things on their diagnosis list, you know, you might find something wrong. Like I, I'll never forget, like I had to, what was a very mechanical fall earlier this year. And, you know, she just looked like a frailer, older patient. And I pulled a sodium and it was like super low. And I was like, wow. But now we got to deal with that. Right, so I'm always surprised what kind of shakes out during those investigations, and I don't, by all means, you know, advocate a shotgun approach. But I would say if you're going to investigate, this is the patient population to investigate on. Right, this is not some young person that you know, uh, you know, wiped out in sports and you know got a bit of a you know sore chest or something like that. Um, this could be this could be serious. Right, so have a low threshold to to draw labs and, and really investigate your patients. Okay, um, and then. Again, moving past laboratory investigations, um, you know, I I feel very grateful for where I practice. I practice in an outstanding emerge with 24-7 CT, so I can pan-scan my patients. And again, going back to the wisdom shared by one of my colleagues, you know, this is the face of trauma, right? It's not ejected from a motor vehicle, shot, stabbed. It is an elderly person on an anticoagulation who has a ground level fall which means I take it very seriously. So if it means imaging the head, C-spine, chest, abdominal pelvis, I go ahead and do it. Right. And sometimes that even just is there to aid in disposition is in clearing them. And now they can be admitted to a family medicine service rather than a trauma service, which is where we admit to. And again, it's interesting too, because the trauma services, at least in Alberta, have started to really, you know, um, become more assertive with regards to trauma management in the elderly. Like they realize that that one rib fracture, single undisplaced rib fracture, could be fatal, and so these people are brought in for monitoring. You know, whereas in a young person, I mean, geez, sometimes you know there are doctors out there that wouldn't even X-ray that necessarily. You know, if they had no concerns for pneumothorax, right? Like because you know the the sensitivity of plain films to pick up rib fractures actually pretty low. You know, so. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Dimitri's nodding, but yes, it is. I don't I know, know what the numbers are, but it's yeah, oh, I, did, I, I didn't CT know that. We'll miss small ones.
1: Wow. wow. Okay. I didn't know that.
0: That sets yeah so, so this is it. This is it. CT is really your go-to when you're worried. Right? And not just CT head, like scan it all. The other big one is like, you know, tibial plateau fracture in an osteoporotic patient. You may not see much when you x-ray the knee. Go ahead and CT, and it's comminuted. Right. So so again, you know, just constantly being vigilant for those occult injuries and realizing they're very hard to spot in the They elderly. Elderly are not gonna they are not gonna mount a tachycardia. They may not be writhing in pain, they may have cognitive issues where they're not able to tell you if it hurts as you're pressing, you know, on the belly or whatever. Right. So so again, um being very, very mindful of it. So, you know, when it comes to falls in the elderly, I look at those background issues foreground issues, and then, you know, injuries to determine disposition. So that's where I'm headed to. I'm headed towards management and disposition. And obviously I'm not going to get into how to manage a head bleed and, you know, an anticoagulated elderly person or how to manage chest trauma or anything like that. I'm just going to highlight the key components of management, which is number one, pain control. Right. So like, remember your patients are suffering and remember that it does not take much to result in serious injuries. They should have pain control. My go-to, and I don't know what yours is, Dimitri, but Dilaudid, it's got a very clean metabolic and clearance profile, and it's going to have less of the, you know, psychotropic effects, uh, potentially as morphine or other opiates. So I go with low dose Dilaudid, but I make sure that it's there. Okay. Um, as long as there are no major contraindications, I'll go with Tordal. And then I use Zofran as my antiemetic. never, never Gravol or any other anticoagulant, uh, anticholinergic agents, right? I mean, because remember that that is not the only thing contributing to a delirium in an elderly person. Um, it's gonna be long hours, sleeplessness, pain, you know, unfamiliar faces, all these things. And I've seen elderly patients develop delirium like within the course of an ED shift, right? So be mindful of the insults that they're suffering as they sit in your emergency department or in your urgent care center, okay? Um, Another key component to managing, you know, trauma is to call appropriate services as needed, right? So if you uncover that sodium, like I mentioned earlier, that really low sodium, well, you got to clear the trauma, which means I scanned everything, found no significant trauma. And then, you know, the patient gets admitted to internal medicine. Alternatively, you find some significant trauma, then, you know, where I work, we phone a trauma service, right? And if they're cleared by the trauma service, they're often dispositioned to internal medicine or a hospitalist service. Right. But, but what I'm getting at is don't feel scared to phone your consultants for help. And for family doctors that are listening to this, when folks walk into your clinic and you're worried, send them into the emergency department. Right. Like I, I'm all like, my view is every year, a doctor should be picking up the phone and saying, absolutely. How can I help you? Please send the patient in unless it's a highly specific case where they need to go back to a highly, you know, the quaternary center where they got their, you know, heart and lung transplant, um, send them into the eMERGE, our eMERGE, the local eMERGE, the nearby one, right? Let them get investigated. Let them get the pain management they need and let them get admitted if that that's what has to happen. And if the worst that happens is, you know, that patient you sent in from clinic, they don't find anything or it's minor, good. It means they've been cleared and that's just fine as well, right? You don't just have to send a patient to the eMERGE. Only when you think something's wrong. That's what we're talking about is high specificity, low sensitivity. Go the other way. Have a low threshold to send somebody to the eMERGE if you're worried about them. Keeping in mind that you're you're, going to miss less, right? You know, Um, if you're thinking about sending a patient home or even if you're not thinking about sending them home, get a sense of how well they can mobilize, right? Because is this a patient that should be walking down the hall to the bathroom unsupervised? Because you know, they got a rib fracture and they need to be admitted for that. And they still want to walk down the hall to the bathroom. Fine. If they can mobilize, but if, if they're really unsteady, even if nothing's broken and they just have contusions, well, you really don't want them having a second fall in the emergency department or in the hospital ward where they're admitted. Right. So consider bringing a commode to the bedside, things like that. So know no, the patient's mobilization. Um, and then like, it's not unreasonable just to admit people for a period of observation. Right. And I I do that very often with rib fractures. Like, you know, I've got patients and I'll keep them in the, I know I can't get a, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night in the emergency department. I know I'm not going to get them admitted that at that hour. I keep them overnight on an O2 monitor and check on them clinically and see how they're doing. Right. Because maybe it's somebody who just flew through their night, they didn't deset, they feel great. They're up walking around and yeah, they want to go home in the morning. They don't want to be admitted. Well, maybe they don't need to be admitted. Right. Versus, you know, that. Rip fracture that causes them to splint and they're requiring pain control overnight and they dump their sats a little bit and you go, Oh, no, no, I'm gonna, you know, they gotta go to the trauma service, right? Or or to a hospital bed where they can be monitored. Okay. Um, so do you have any other questions really on like that kind of assessment and general management at all, Dimitri? Because I'm gonna get to the summary now.
1: No, and and it's thank you for, for letting for, for talking about how. It's all about the specificity and sensitivity about the emergency visit. I mean, listen, if I think it's, I think it's appendicitis, what are the consequences of it being wrong or right? Like <laughs> there's some things where, and, and I know my, that my colleagues have my back and I have theirs, and I'm glad to hear you say it as well. About yes. Those things.
0: yes, absolutely. we we'll just, and you know what? Tell your patients, like you can prepare them. You can say, listen, I, unfortunately you might be waiting for hours and hours in the emergency department and you know what? There's a high chance the doctor there may see you, assess you and send you home, but I'm happy. I want another set of eyes looking at you, right? Tell your patients they're worth it because they are right. Um, Because you really don't want to miss something um, serious, whether that's the trigger, whether that's the injury, whether that's, you know, a background or foreground medical condition, you know, so, um, so just looking at all those factors. So let me, let me summarize, let me just go through some high points here. Cause I think we should, we ought to wrap it up. So again, remember that falls in the elderly are incredibly common. Note that our population is aging and that there is a very big difference between, you know, a patient who is 65 and one who is 85. They're in different generations. Note as well, you know, go back to to that part that I mentioned about the pickleball player versus the one on dialysis, right? That you can have two patients, same age in very different places. And what we're referring to is frailty. And that's a big red flag. And it's, it can be hard to define. There are obvious risk factors for it. Maybe I'll do a separate podcast on that later, but just have a notion of frailty. Understand how serious falls are for the elderly, that it is not just about death. It is about serious injury, loss of dignity, loss of independence, loss of happiness in their lives, right? For many elderly that fall and become institutionalized, they're very, they're deeply unhappy. So I always try to, I always try to bring a lot of compassion and caring to this, right? You know, let them, you know, sometimes they'll cry, right? Because they're scared of what the fall means. Or you know they'll talk about you know what their fears are, you know, and and just you know give them space for that. Realize that it's a major event, not for you know for younger people like us. Like I said, a wipeout, getting out of my truck, you know, on the ice, and I kind of shrug it off, right? And maybe I'm sore for a couple of days, but for somebody it can be a life changing event. So so just bringing that understanding and that mindfulness into our practices, I think, is so so important. Um, realizing that you don't have to fall. To suffer from falls. And what I'm talking about, and Dimitri discussed this as well, is the notion of fear of falling. That people become prisoners in their homes or their apartments. They're scared to go out and socialize. They're scared to go get the mail. They're scared to drive for medical visits, for groceries, for church, or wherever they worship, or whatever they do, right? They're starting to become socially isolated without even having fallen. They just know how scary it is. So, again, being mindful of that with our patients understand the risk factors of falling. understand that many falls even when they're mechanical can have a trigger. Be very worried about anticoagulation in your patient who's falling be very worried about osteoporosis diagnosed or undiagnosed. Um, and then take a thorough social history because it is really going to help you get an understanding of why did they fall, how serious was the fall and how likely are they to be able to go back home right because there are some patients that fall. And I feel like they should be admitted, but they're very insistent on going home. And they got a very involved daughter or son who's like, no, 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 I'm going to carry mom around and I'm going to help her get up the stairs. I'm going to bring her food for a few days and I'll bring her back to the department if she's not doing well. I say, well, it's hard to argue with that. You know, you're basically bringing them home care on the spot, you know, versus that, you know, elderly person who maybe they only have one or two kids and they're in another province or another country and they're not around and, you know, they live in a house by themselves out in a farm or something. That's that's a very different story. Do you know what I mean? Do a thorough physical. Have a low threshold to investigate, and have a low threshold to consult or admit on these patients. Is my advice for hospital-based physicians and for the ones that are in emerge or in community? Pardon me. Have a low threshold for sending your patient in. Send them into the emerge, even if, and just prepare them. Say, listen, there's probably nothing wrong with you, but I just want to be cautious because you're worth it, right? And I tell my patients that. You deserve to have a close look. Give me some time. Let's do some blood work. Let's do a CT. I'll come and talk to you, right? So, so that's my reflection on it. And it, I mean, obviously, you can hear it's something I'm passionate about. um, You know, especially as we see an aging population, it's just take the time to really be there with your patients and and go through the meaning of a fall with them. So, I think that I'm going to wrap that up, Dmitri. I don't know if you have anything else you want to share.
1: Oh, that was excellent. And I'm also glad you talked about substances as well as being something, actually, we had a podcast about cannabis use in elderly, and it's certainly going up wow. and certainly causing falls. So that's another important pearl. Yeah. But but yeah, thank you for your time, Kevin. It's great to have you back. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again in the future.
0: Uh, yeah, I got to come back more than once a year. How's that sound?
1: Yeah, sure. All right, you know what? All uh, but anyhow,
0: last pitch, we've got our outstanding conference coming up June 3rd to 5th, 2022. And of course, we've got small groups running through Physician Empowerment and we are looking forward to launching a Physician Empowerment podcast soon. Dimitri's going to be hosting some of the episodes. I'm going to be hosting some of the episodes and it's going to be amazing because we're going to talk about, you know, life and finance for doctors. So I'm very, very excited about that podcast. And obviously details will be up on the website and the email. Um, So, again, we're really looking forward to it.
1: All right. All the best, Kevin.
0: Take care. Thank you so much.